is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield Podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before. I'm Laurie Gregory, and welcome to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. I'm here with Andy. Andy, how are you today? I'm good, Laurie. I'm good. I'm busy right in the middle of closing the edit on this film. A tense time, but a good time. So exciting. I know that the world is getting anxious. Those in the health freedom movement that have reached out to me in my network and in your network are just really getting excited. And we're excited for the world to see what you've been up to for the past four years. It's it's a mega baby, as they say. <laughs> but we, we have an incredible special guest here today. And I'm so grateful we were able to work out with her schedule and your schedule for the two of you to get together and have this conversation today. Um, Dr. Judy Mikovits, a legend in her own time and certainly in the health freedom movement. Dr. Judy, welcome to the Andy Wakefield podcast. Thanks so much, Lori. I, I appreciate being here. We'd love to talk to you about obviously what's going on with, as Jim Moody calls it, the woo flu. That's our favorite nickname for it. Love but it. <laughs> for our listeners who are maybe new to the health freedom movement and, and aren't familiar with what your background is, Andy, we, we really should clue them in to who, who it is we're talking to here, don't you think? Absolutely. Crucial. Give, a, give our listeners, Judy, kind of the background story of how you got to where you are today. Well, um, it's, it's difficult to do quickly, but that was called the Biological Response Modifiers Program at the National Cancer Institute, you know, the same place that first job was. Then I worked, and since then, since June 6, 1983, I've worked closely with Dr. Frank Rossetti, who is um, the who discovered the um, the first disease-causing human retrovirus, caused cancer and other autoimmune and neuroimmune diseases. So the, my entire career was basic and translational research, that is, make drugs um, understand how viruses cause disease. And it's really critical uh, to this discussion with, with COVID-19, how viruses cause disease uh, by dysregulating the immune response. And, and, and we've gone on and extended that in recent years, um, the endocannabinoid response, once we learned the whole endocannabinoid system existed in 1994. That was a full decade after I first started working with Frank. So what, what we've done, my, my PhD thesis basically changed the paradigm for treating HIV AIDS because what it said was, it's not the infection with the retrovirus. You can have HIV and never get AIDS if you're you know, a genetically or epigenetically resistant person. What, what we mean by that is if your own immune system doesn't get dysregulated and the flame, inflammation, these are viruses cause inflammatory diseases. They're obligate parasites. They need your cell machinery. So they need to turn on cell division. So when, when a virus enters you know, the body, the immune system goes on and, and the blood stem cells say, okay, we need to make more of this type of cell and that type of cell to fight the infection. So we did, you know, that was, you know, literally 20 years of research. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately in, in, in 2000 and 
nine, we isolated a new family of disease-causing human retroviruses that came from mice. It, it, they were called xenotropic murine leukemia virus retroviruses. So they were related. They were cousins, neighbors of mouse cancer and neuroimmune Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease. In our case, we were studying chronic fatigue syndrome at the Neuroimmune Institute I co-founded and developed to study these diseases. Mm -hmm. So we, we published that paper in Science, um, showing the new family and, and importantly, the infection with the virus. Many people were carriers of the virus, but they didn't necessarily ever get a disease. And they had that same inflammatory signature of disease. So viruses, when they invade, they have a way to evade the immune response on and the host doesn't kill them. So that's what we mean by obligate parasite. At any rate, when, when the government discovered in 2011, we didn't know anything when we first discovered this virus about its transmission, about it, how it got into what we call the human virome. How did this get into humans? Because it, it's a relatively recent evolution. And we know that because endogenous retroviruses, those that our immune system has crippled, so they are not expressed have been in our, our system, make up about 8% of our genome, and, and they, they don't hurt us. So when, when a virus is evolving and jumping species, your immune system creates that inflammatory disease signature. So it became clear that this virus likely jumped into humans by a contaminated blood supply and biological therapies that have been developed over the last 40 years since I started there with human interferon alpha, those viruses, you know, literally have an inflammatory signature and suppress the host response and drive the disease pathogenesis. So if you stop the expression of the virus and, and you calm the flame, which you can do with cannabis and other therapies, um, then, then you never, you never get sick, you never get disease. So, when the government found out that vaccines and and a contaminated blood supply, because we grow viral vaccine antigens in the early days, in in the 30s, we passed uh, polio virus through mouse brains. So those were the first cases of these inflammatory of of what we call myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome in our world. And then later cases, of course, um, they exploded as we cultured the antigens, the viral antigens. They have to be grown in a host cell, in another animal cell. And these are, of course, in all of our vaccines. So, I, you know, I, Tony Fauci removed all my funding uh, confiscated, all of my notebooks and materials. They encouraged us to be quiet and, and suppress the data. And uh, as they did with Dr. William Thompson, we basically refused and they carried out their threat to destroy our career and essentially make the XMRVs, which were a true zoonosis, you know, cause infecting 25 million Americans were carriers. That was 25 times the height of HIV AIDS um, 
1991 when my PhD thesis showed that it was the inflammatory signature and the suppression of epigenetic machinery, which caused the progression of AIDS. Sorry for that long-winded. You can, but no, it's extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. That's that is it's just extraordinary, Andy. Is it not? It's just, it's yet another example. Here we go. Yes, it were extraordinary, um, but unfortunately, when it comes to man-made products like vaccines and other biologicals which are grown in these cells and inevitably contaminated with these viruses, which they've known about for a very long time in terms of other viruses, uh, monkey viruses, et cetera, that Judy's discovery was clearly extremely uncomfortable for them. And the fact that these viruses were associated significantly with a a disease, a pathology that was looking for uh, a mechanism and a cause and found one in XMRV, then um, that was unacceptable. And it's really... It's sad, but I, I, am I surprised in light of my own experience? No. But Judy, we watched you on Monday night on the topic of Wu flu, of the Wuhan coronavirus. And that was a fascinating program. It was tracking the origins of that infection. And um, I would love to hear you summarize that now for people who did not see that and, and indeed direct them to it on on uh, YouTube, because it, it, it really is extremely important. Yeah, well, that was a show, Joshua Phillips and the Epics, Epic Times, Epoch Times, I think he says it, that is how he says the world, um, take back on March 6th in, um, up in New York City. And, and they asked me to come there and talk about the Wu flu, because um, one of the things I did in my postdoctoral research studies was my job was to, um, and I worked in the biosafety level four facility at USAMRID, which is US Army Research Institute Infectious Diseases. It's right there at Fort Detrick, literally across the street from the National Cancer Institute where, where I had you know, worked from 1980 through 2001. So my job in the 90s was to teach Ebola Zaire, which was a highly pathogenic strain responsible for killing um, you know, 21,000 people in Liberia during a 2014 outbreak. Um, and, and my job was to teach that strain to infect primary human cells without killing them. And, and this is what we would call now gain of function studies. I'm trying to teach a virus to, to evolve, to accelerate the evolution in, in, a, in, in an unnatural way, very quickly, and, and teach it to infect human cells where this, this would have to go from like, as we think about the, the Wu flu, it, we're told it came from a bat in a seafood market. It went to one woman and then it spread to 110 countries in two months, and that's frankly absurd scientifically and evolutionarily. So in 1999, I, I did that. I, I, um, I found cell lines, that human cell lines and animal cell lines um, that uh, Ebola could grow in without killing them. And, and, and this kind of research, you know, with the time I was doing it, I was told that we were going to prevent these viruses from causing disease. 
and yes, the second study I did and, and was published in, in a paragraph of studies in nature in 1999. And I think I sent that st study to you, Andy, in that slide deck I sent you. This was, what is the difference between a disease causing strain, Zaire, and a non-pathogenic strain, which is the Ebola restin strain? So I infected primary human monocytes, blood cells, with immune cells with both strains. And then I did a subtractive technology to ask, what was the disease signature? What was that cytokine storm? Those inflammatory mediators that we found in HIV, that we found in XMRV. We know everybody doesn't get disease and therefore these viruses aren't causative. So that's what I was talking about there that you know, that, that disease signature was very close to a pattern of the disease signature of SARS coronavirus too, because all coronaviruses, you know, don't cause disease the same way. It depends on how much an inasusceptible individual, which we now know the people who, if they are dying, you know, of other things, but they have many other inflammatory diseases. And, and why therapies like alpha interferon, which stops the replication of, of RNA viruses, that first, that first immune therapy we developed is so important in thinking about those. And they cost 50 cents as, you know, a dose a, a day, uh, uh, one vial can, uh, that costs $600 from Merck can protect a thousand people for a week, uh, twice a day at 50 cents a dose. And we don't use those. Plaquenil for reasons that we can't go into this show, which is on the World Health Organization list of, of effective medicines. But so, you know, I, my, I was on that show uh, to talk about this can't have evolved the way the government is telling us. This can't have, clearly can't have jumped from one woman very quickly. The, the accelerated evolution of the virus by working in biosafety level four in Wuhan, right there in Canada, in Seattle, and at USAMRI. This has been going on for decades. And in fact, in 2019, USAMRI was shut down, closed that biosafety level four, the entire place for um, safety concerns. So what did they release in, in late 18 and early 19 from Fort Detrick? You know, the, it's clear from the scientific papers that the, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the, the doctor from North Carolina, as well as the Wuhan researchers, and Tony Fauci funded all of this. It says right there that NIAID did the funding. These studies were against the law, by the way. Gain-of-function studies were outlawed by Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, starting in 2013. Because scientists like myself said, this is the risk when you do gain of function studies, when you accelerate viral evolution. And so Francis Collins shut it down, but clearly this research continued and was funded the entire time by Tony Fauci. They got the cell lines, um, the, the Vero monkey kidney cells that are in our Pediorix vaccines in our polio vaccines, in, in many of our vaccines, you know, those cell lines directly from Fort Detrick. And so it's the same idea that when we take antigens and we process them in, in 
other tissue. It's called xenotransplantation. Every vaccine is a xenotransplantation because we inject the blood and tissue of other animals, including um, human fetal tissue. So, so this was what I talked about. I didn't actually know the rest of the content of that show uh, or what this um, organization was trying to say. And, and I have to admit, when I saw it yesterday, it was really astounding to me how much more was going on than, than we even knew from our vantage point. Can I, can I ask, Judy, it's absolutely fascinating. Were these gain-of-function studies intended to protect humans, or were they intended to put these respective countries ahead in bioweapons research, or, or both? Well, in 1999, when I did it, I was told I was doing it, it was intended to attenuate the virus, make it weaker so you could develop a, an effective vaccine theoretically, like, for instance, with smallpox, it was the original vaccines were simply pus from milkmaids from cowpox and, and taking it up person who had developed the antibody and putting it right into to a weaker to a, another kind of of pathogen like like cowpox so i was told and i believe i was doing a good thing but as i look back at that film and 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 as i look at my experience with the xmrvs and with the data that's now coming out that there might in fact be natural herd immunity in many parts of the world, in many parts of the United States, because it appears this infection has been here a lot longer than we've been told. One can only assume there were nefarious motives, that, that it, was, it was to develop biowarfare. I don't agree that it's stimulating a war, I do, or, or whatever with China, that wasn't, in my opinion, the purpose of the film. The purpose of the film is, in my opinion, was you know, in, in it, only the extreme measures of lockdown, wear a mask, everything else appeared. Remember, I was there March 5th, and I knew so much more about this beforehand. I could not have imagined on that day that we would be where we are in the United States of America right now with these draconian measures when, in fact, you know, many of the country, the healthiest may have been exposed and be developing those neutralizing and healing antibodies that can restore the health of our country and we never need a vaccine. I can only um, comment now that it is my, you know, belief that uh, that based on the, the facts that vaccines have driven pandemics in the past, from Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, our friend, her fabulous book, Dissolving Illusion, tells about the smallpox vaccination and the worst outbreaks and how this vaccine was killing so many people and driving the evolution of more pathogenic species, mm -hmm. as I just said. So I, I now see it as a biowarfare thing that Tony Fauci, the CDC, who we, and the FDA, by preventing the right test from getting done by preventing the drugs that could heal everybody. None of this need ever happen. So one can only. And, yeah. and pushing the vaccine agenda most forcibly. I mean, it raises so many questions. But looking at that documentary on Monday night, it was clear that the Chinese, if anyone had nefarious motives, it was the Chinese Communist Party. And why would you develop this virus in the first place? Clearly, it it is pathogenic in humans. but 
if you were developing it as a bioweapon in the sort of the, the way we understand bioweapons with a high kill rate, this clearly is would be considered a failure. But on the other hand, if you wanted to produce a bioweapon that destroyed the world's economy and you gain something through that, then that then it's it is a very effective bioweapon. The other thing is that I heard time and time again from molecular virologists, oh, this has got elements of coronavirus, it's got elements of this virus, ancient viruses, it's, it has a natural origin. But let me tell you this, if I were a Chinese scientist designing a bioweapon, the first thing I'd put into it, genetic sequences, which misled those molecular biologists around the world when they were investigating the origins of it. I'd put in these ancient coronavirus elements from bats and snakes or whatever, just to create the impression that this was of a natural origin. I would think that would be high on the list of, you know, in their protocol. But that's just that's just me, I think, being, you know, overly suspicious of, of their motives. But the big concern now is whether or not this were a bioweapon, whether or not it was developed with malign intent, there is going to be a huge push using this as an example for mandatory vaccination across the board. How, how do you see that playing out, Judy? Is that something that concerns you? Oh, absolutely. You can see from the beginning, this is a huge push for mandatory vaccination. And it concerns me. I can't sleep at night. And this is why I'm trying to let everyone know that, you know, perhaps we already have that immunity, that, that those people who the convalescing from the disease is clearly it's shown that we can isolate from them neutralizing antibodies. That's the definition of a vaccine. We don't need to inject any more of these contaminated vaccines. The process isn't changing. We're making recombinants, we're making attenuated viruses, and we're injecting all those same toxins that have already destroyed the health of our country and contributed to the development of these chronic diseases and even scarier, every one of the original victims. You know, those are the people that have microvascular damage from the XMRV, those XMRVs, the 25 million Americans. We know that the influenza vaccine drives the fire too high. So we've already seen our, our government say, get the flu shot. I mean, I just walked into a shutdown grocery store and it says, get the flu shot now. And people are and will drop dead of that in the susceptible population. And then they won't get an autopsy at the hospital. So you'll kill off all the evidence of everything that's been going on with this vaccine program for at least 50 years. And you'll just create a system where we're chipped and tracked forever. It's, it's horrifying. Maybe that's part of the plan, Judy, is to get rid of the evidence. I mean, it's it's a bit disconcerting that Tony Fauci played the role that he played in your timeline, and he's up every evening next to the president as part of the commission that's making these decisions. Correct. And that's exactly why we wrote both books. Plague took place essentially from the time I was let out of jail for refusing to do all of this. I refused to throw away the data Thompson style where we they held those secret meetings, Dr. Rossetti and I refused. So they simply locked down my lab um, and, and Tony Fauci led 
this take all the computers, take everything I ever wrote in, in, in 30 years, cover up every bit of the data of who was infected and what was going on. And, and so we went through the science in that book because, of course, I'm a scientist and I had no idea when that book was in press uh, in August of 2014, Brian Hooker's story. And then I met Brian Hooker and he put up on the screen at a meeting a picture of William Thompson's notebook. And this is in the movie Bax, which was a, a year or so later. It said, uh, what are we going to do about the problem of the Blacks? And an email with everybody involved. So in that first book, I have Tony Fauci and his emails, you know, to the group, to the team, covering up the contamination of the blood supply, science, the journal, showing it as a, uh, showing the, 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 the blood supply study not as the blood supplies contaminated, heavily contaminated, far more than with HIV in the 80s and 90s, which, which caused economic destruction of this country. But um, at that time, it was horrific, and it was one million Americans. So yes, it, it was a big cover-up. So the second book started, Plague of Corruption, which comes out in one week on April 14th. Plague of Corruption is what I learned since the day I met Brian Hooker, how much more this was corrupt. And, and it, 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 it's so prophetic to this story with COVID-19. Wow. Infection with SARS, coronavirus 2, the severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, infection does not equal disease. And they are covering up and they are burying the victims. And Tony Fauci is leading the way, just as he led the way behind the corrupt Ian Lipkin study. So Ian Lipkin, Andy, was one of the scientists that says, no, 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 this wasn't anything. Here I did my little hocus pocus with the, with the, with the genes. And here it's only this one strain. And, and this is what they did in expert. Oh, it can only be that BP62. No, no. There was plenty of evidence that there were many strains evolving, accelerated HIV associated with different levels of pathogenesis, whether it affected your lungs, whether it affected your brains, I'm here, your microvasculature, just like we're hearing right now. These patients have extremely high levels of ferritin in their blood, the cytokine storms, they have that disease signature. Again, I'm losing sleep because it's like an, oh my God, they're just going to kill all of us. And I say all of us because in chapter eight of our first book, the invitation only meeting, when the government got together and did all of this, the big realization was, oh my God, the lab workers are zero converting. What that means, they were making antibodies. So we were going to have to take all mouse research and make it biosafety level three as if it were contagious, which it is. So in 2020, we've got to cover that up because, hey, folks, the book's coming out in a week. And we know it. And we've, we've absolutely nailed Tony Fauci with his emails, with his cronies, with the CDC, with them trying to repeat the William Thompson trick of let's just get Judy Mikevitz and Frank Rossetti and, and kill them and gather all the data or promise them awards and life after should they shut up. 
like William Thompson and the rest did and, and misrepresent those papers statistically, which is that we refused, but, but Tony Fauci engineered the so-called validation study to in fact show nothing just just as those data would never go away, just like the signal could never go away with the statistics in the Thompson study. So they simply just made it go away on paper. Well, your book is incredibly, it's extraordinary. It's how timely your book is. I, I'd like to option your book to make an, <laughs> a documentary. So, yeah. It's going on the runway, Andy. This is going to be number four the, on the runway. We're going to throw the seventh chakra film's hat in the ring there and uh, ask you if we can option that to make a movie because the movie needs to get, be made to get this story out there. It's so important. And as you say, you know, here we have Fauci on television every night making these pronouncements, pushing a vaccine agenda. And, you know, Donald Trump, bless him, is taking very much the opposite stand. And I saw, saw him say the other night that we have to be very, very careful of vaccine because they can destroy people or something to that effect. And um, so I, I can see a conflict coming. If it's not already happened between those two. Yeah, fabulous, because what really needs to happen is all of these biosafety level fours and all of this research needs to be shut down. I, I didn't mention that oh so quietly in 2017, Francis Collins lifted the ban on um, on these gain of function mm -hmm. studies. So 2017, when it all accelerated, and again, cover up, it, it really is just a cover up. They were doing it all along, but we, you know, it, it's like all the laws that have go, been going around the country. And uh, I, I think you might remember that if HIV positive people, knowing they were positive, didn't tell somebody, um, a sexual partner or whatever, that they were positive, they could go to jail for that. So knowing the vaccines are contaminated, not only with HIV, but with some, some mouse cancer causing viruses, some simian virus 40, you know, you name it, the recombinants are endless and the, the nightmare of the pathogenesis as we wake up those dormant pathogens and allow them to recombine as, as our own immune systems become more and more dysregulated. All of those things contribute to this inflammatory signature of disease. And again, uh, it, it's, just, it's just horrifying what's happening. So we enter what the sixth extinction and yeah. uh, we, it is unique in the sort of major extinctions in the geological history of this planet in, in, in as much that it's the first extinction event ever created by man. And yeah. one hoped that as a consequence, it, there was a reversible element to it. But the way we're carrying on, that seems increasingly unlikely. We seem to have this perverse yeah. desire to accelerate that. Well, and in fact, what's happening right now, COVID-19, if we send the right message, if we keep talking and say, wait a minute, we've already solved it. We got natural herd immunity. No vaccine has ever been made. It's been 20 years since SARS. The vaccine drives the pathogenesis. I've got several papers on that that I'll send you, Andy, that I'm meaning it causes lung. The vaccine itself that they've been testing in SARS 
And, and what are they doing? Oh, they're going to test it on the Africans first. You know, it, we've got to stop this and say, hey, we're already immune. We have God-given immune. Look, we're strong. Look, we as a country beat it. No more vaccine program. Close the CDC. Close the FDA. Shut it down until it's reorganized. Just end the 1986 Act. Absolutely. Um, fascinating. One last question for me, Laurie. You may have others, but RNA vaccines, a new kid on the block. Do you, what are your thoughts? I mean, I know what your thoughts are on vaccines in general, but RNA vaccines specifically, what are the, what are the ups and downs of that one? Um, absolutely can't do that because of what we've learned. So RNA vaccines are, are, are to use just the, the RNA, the nucleic acid of the virus. Coronavirus is an RNA virus. So you just go ahead and you inject the RNA and you allow the host to make and replicate the virus. And what we now understand, you know, literally 90% of our genome is what we used to call junk DNA. Our blueprint is DNA. And that DNA was in fact junk, but God doesn't make junk. And what we now appreciate is it's micro RNAs that are expressed and never translated and long chain non-coding RNAs, they're expressed and never translated. And all of these micro RNAs, we have hundreds of them now and they associate with disease. So when you inject naked RNA, you're going to take people who can't either degrade it, they don't have RNA cell, that was the defect why people got the XMRVs more frequently in some groups, they had a defect in RNA cell, that's um, my hypothesis of why black boys under three have that increased risk over it, um, if given the MMR vaccine, because they can't degrade the RNA in their cytoplasm. So these RNA vaccines are going to be hugely dangerous and they are going to kill the vulnerable populations because they are further going to further dysregulate that machinery that's so critical to clearing them. And, and in fact, one of the things is we could actually make a safe vaccine. And knowing all we know about type one interferon, very low dose, it's a natural adjuvant. We can take out the aluminum, we can take out all the toxins that cripple that immune response and drive that fire higher. We can make a safe vaccine based on the knowledge of if we transiently block the endocannabinoid 2 receptor, we can heighten the intensity and specificity of antibodies in the very young and the very old, and those are the most susceptible. We can add peptide T, which was one of those immune therapies we developed in the 80s in Frank Rossetti's lab in response to who was susceptible to HIV. We modulate the flame lower. We put all of that in a capsule that we swallow with, with a small amount of live, purified, concentrated virus, RNA virus, SARS, it's coronavirus too, literally a real natural infection and simply tell the immune system, make a, an adaptive and innate immune response and shut down the replication after a few cycles because we know the acid, the pH at which the virus will degrade. You need a couple of cycles of replication in order to get a memory response. And this is plug and play. 
so you'll never have a pandemic again because <laughs> we could do it with retroviruses, which they've never developed. So we can make a safe vaccine and it costs pennies and people would develop lifelong immunity and, and we, can, we could say never again would, would, would anybody have to worry about one of these, but it won't be an RNA vaccine. That's right. the worst thing you could do. So the only people who would suffer in the face of that much cheaper natural vaccine would be the stock price of the manufacturers. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> Some great reggae artists like Peter Tosh or, or Bob Marley wrote, the, wrote a song about marijuana being the cure, <laughs> the cure for everything. And he was probably right, you know. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. Lisa Hell. That was well, wonderful. I it's it's so fascinating and i have a couple questions andy judy so these retroviruses those who are already infected since it's already been in the vaccines and in the blood supply is the science that you're talking about does it indicate that those folks would be more likely to express with covid absolutely Absolutely. So one of the problems I have with the mask is this is injection, not infection. This is not from without, it's from within. When you stress an animal, um, either by spraying Roundup or eating contaminated food or wearing a mask or being without a job, they become powerfully immune suppressed and they express their dormant. They wake up. And, and create sleeping giants. So yes, and then wearing that mask, you're actually concentrating in your own saliva from your own lungs. And, and it's stressful to wear those masks and you'll concentrate that virus in your very throat. Is there any way to, to test for these retroviruses? Do we have a, a way of doing that? Oh yeah, I don't mean just retroviruses. I and mean, we have coronaviruses. Every flu mm. vaccine contains this and um, you know and especially birds have coronaviruses and cows and pigs and sheep so think about rotatec there are coronaviruses in the rotatec and they admit there are retroviruses and other things so it's not just the retroviruses retrovirus is just another RNA virus so mm-hmm. influenza vaccines and there were three studies that show you don't drive the immune response either from a recombinant piece in part vaccine or any vaccine is going to drive the expression and development of causative agents of upper respiratory diseases so yeah we can test for them and it's that inflammatory signature and and we i mean we have pcrs we have all of that stuff that's that's not the point and that's why the pcr is absolutely the wrong test I can take a swab and I, I can put it in my throat and I can find anything I want. And I guarantee you that's what the government's doing. So um, that could be why some people test positive and they have no symptoms. And do you think this is part of potentially having data to inflate the numbers? Yes. So do the serology test. Show its IgG, which would be a past infection, or show its IgM, a recent or acute infection. If it's IgGG, you have a memory response and therefore you're immune and you won't get sick. Vaccines don't prevent infection. Almost nothing on the schedule prevents infection. So what do we think, Andy, Judy? Does Does Trump know about this? What do you think politically or even in his 5D chess that he has to play, how, what, do, what does he do next? Well, I think does information he... is everything, you know, and, and what our duty is, is to get that information 
to him and to the people who can and either through film or through books and I, that's you know get that information out there because information is essential particularly when you're dealing with circumstances like this that are highly complex and you need the stories to be told by people who can refine them into a much more a much simpler narrative that is accessible to lay people and i think that trump is ready to listen you just got to get it in front of him clearly there's going to be a huge barrier to getting it in front of him for those who do not want these stories to be told but he is powerless in the absence of the information so full credit to judy for producing this book with Kent Heck and Lively, and, and um, it, he needs to be made aware of it. Uh, yeah. It is absolutely crucial to the survival of this country. And the book and the film, so important. Judy, what do you think? Yeah, it's exactly why we wrote it, and it's, it's actually why Kent Heck and Lively wrote it, um, because Kent Heck and Lively is a sixth grade science teacher, so he literally would, and, a, and an attorney, so he would literally ask me questions and, and then tell the story. This is a very quick read. It's three hours and it tells the story and it predicts your eyes. You cannot read the last chapter without realizing that's exactly what they did and why they rolled out this whole pandemic, coronavirus, COVID-19. You got caught. This situation, we can turn it around if we can make him aware and and that's why it's so important. I mean, I'm a scientist and things like this make me incredibly uncomfortable. It's not what I do. But I think if we're going to save all of humanity, we just have to simply talk. And I have to learn to tell this story. And I have to talk to uh, basically whoever will listen and try to find a way to make everyone understand that they're just trying to take away our rights and force these vaccinations and literally destroy our, our country and, and in fact all humanity, as Andy said, over and over again. Is the book going to be available on Amazon? I know the original Plague is still on Amazon. What is is that the best way to get yes. Plague of Corruption, which is coming out in one week? Yes, you can pre-order it right now. And it, and it should be shipped on April 14th. What I've been telling people is if you pre-order it today and write me at www.plaguethebook.com, I'll send you the electronic version. Which I have read, and I read it months ago, Judy. I want to reread it now in this COVID environment. I'm sure I'm going to be inspired in a whole nother direction. Andy, so glad that you threw the seventh chakra hat in the ring to option Judy's book, because I was going to do it if you didn't, so yay. We've got 1986, The Act, coming out in five weeks. It's going to be streamable on Sphere, S-P-H-I-R dot I-O. Andy, it's, it's chugging along. We have to keep getting these stories out there absolutely no it, it it couldn't come at a more pertinent a more opportune time just keep coming at it from all angles that's what yeah. we've got to do is continue to put the information out there in a palpable way thank you both so much you are both heroes of mine i'm so incredibly privileged to be here with you judy i know you've been slammed we, we're so grateful to you for taking some time to talk with us today thank thanks you judy. thanks so much Lori and andy i appreciate it You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Weekly Podcast, a place where stories are being told that have never been heard before. This is a Seventh Chakra Films production in collaboration with Brick City Creative. Please follow and like us while you still can on Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram at 1986 The Act, and soon on Sphere.